the glory days are here to say the 80s horror show. Take a stroll down memory lane, it's time to start the show. The gory days, the gory days, the gory days, the gory days. 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 The Kyle Leone here, your host for another week, and what a week it is. I feel like there was a term being thrown around a few months ago about when Joker was coming out, the Joaquin Phoenix movie, about being Joker-fied and just laughing at the absolute absurdity that's happening every single goddamn day. Every time I open my phone, something horrible is happening. And, uh, I mean, I was watching the impeachment proceedings last week, and just the acid that, what is it, Jim Jeff Jeffries or whatever was just spitting, I couldn't help but laugh because he was talking about, like, you can't cancel the president, and they want to cancel the president. What the fuck are you talking about? And him going like, oh, they won't, they're taking away Republicans' platform to debate. Only one side's allowed to debate? He's actively debating on CNN. Anyway. I can't help but lean into the absurdity, and it feels like uh, it ties in with the movie that we're talking about today, of Sam Raimi leaning into his absurdity, finding what worked with the first Evil Dead movie, and just stretching it into this slapstick comedy craziness. But before I get ahead of myself, I have a great guest here today that's going to be talking about today's movie with me. He's a local here. Well, actually, he's not a local, but he lives here in L.A. now. I met him on set a few days ago, and actually, the episode's not out yet, but he was nice enough to invite me onto his podcast, the Set Stories Podcast. I had a blast, but it's nice to return the favor. Please welcome to the Gory Days, cinematographer and producer-slash-creator of Set Stories and Set Stories Podcast, Charles Cartwright. Hola. Thank you for the incredible oh. intro. Hola. <laughs> Hola. Um... um yeah, man. Welcome to the gory days. I had a blast on Set Stories podcast, which um, that episode's not out yet. But when it does, I'm going to be promoting it like crazy. You better <laughs> you get to hear the nitty gritty of what goes on in your sets, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, no, it was fun. It was uh, I'll let I'll let you describe it. But I it's it's the podcast where you bring people like me on who you either have met uh, personally or through friends of friends to talk about what they're doing in the entertainment industry as like. You know, us little up and comers, indie projects and stuff, and it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. That's a, that is. Is that how you would? Oh yeah, big time. Yeah, we uh, we we're the, I like to say we're the voice of uh, the film industry, crew film industry, and actors. We had a few few actors, but whatever you know, they you got to say or want to say or want to share about um, film sets or in the film industry um, through anecdotes or stories. Um, we try to keep it you know relaxed, chill, and funny, so people can. Uh, comfortable and share their stories um you know but it's just like a, a free range you know if you're given a mic and you know an audience you should say something that's worth it and i think there's a lot of things that people in the film industry have to say and i would like to you know especially us uh, little people who are starting from the ground up <laughs> exactly yeah. and that's why i like like the i mean it's called the pot cast with a t because you guys are so f- free that you guys like <laughs> we're to so a free. little bit of weed on the show yeah we're stoners <laughs> i'm just kidding no um but no we wanted to create like first of all branding like branding like the name podcast um we've made a video for it, but it's it's like you know what like I, I was always a fan of play on words i think that's just like one of the funniest things um you know like i li- you know watch a lot of cartoons and they you know they do a lot of play on words that are just like silly and like puns of course um too many puns are too weird but 
Um, we wanted it to be like very catchy, you know, we also wanted to give it a, a soul. I feel like, you know, I think, and I don't know if you can relate as a creator, but it's hard to like really give life to a new idea. You know, if you have something new and you're trying to form it together, you know, when I was, when I first had the idea of set stories, I just, I literally drew a lot of stuff. Just, I didn't know where it wanted to go, but I know how I wanted to feel, um, you mm. know, and just, a, you know, kind of just give it some kind of soul or some kind of foundation. And with the podcast, um, we did the show set stories. We did a f- like two episodes. Um, it was basically like reenactments. People shared, like me and my buddy shared our stories. And then we did reenactments like Drunk History. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, it's pretty fun. It's pretty funny. Um, you can see it at setstories.com, but it's just a, it was mainly done for a festival, like a, a pilot TV show festival. And we just summed up very little money in two weeks, got a crew together, got like 36 people to be set people <laughs> and did it, uh, which was fun. Hardest thing I've ever done in my life, but it was worth it because we actually, you know, entered the competition, didn't win anything, didn't get anything, but we got recognition and it kind of helped give set stories a soul. Um, but the podcast came from uh, a good friend of ours, Hootie. Um, she uh, came up with the idea, like, hey, what if this was a podcast? Because technically we just, you know, want to tell the stories. And uh, so we went to the drawing boards on that and just started doing it. And now it's became, you know, this whole kind of thing where, you know, we have like merchandise and we have a kind of feel going on. And it has more of a soul and body to it um, in a more tangible form. Um that's awesome. Yeah. Hootie McGarian, who you mentioned, Hootie McGarian, friend of the podcast, was just on, did Mandy. That was really fun. Oh, really? Uh, you, <laughs> I, I want to go back to something you mentioned. You said that like you didn't know what you wanted to do, but you know you knew how you wanted to feel. And I feel like that's what I did when I started this podcast, is that I was listening to a lot of other podcasts, and they weren't talking about the stuff that I wanted to hear, mm-hmm. or they weren't talking about it in the way that I wanted to listen. And so it was a lot of like creative frustration before finally accepting, I, I should just do yeah. it. Um, and that can be so scary, because I imagine, I mean, I'll use my I statements. When I was getting ready to do my podcast, <laughs> I was afraid that what I've done has been done a million times before and way better than I could ever do it. Mick Garris, a uh, director, popular horror film director, uh, did a number of the Michael My- or the Halloween movies, has his own podcast where he has, like, Toby Hooper and Tom Holland and, like, real uh, horror directors to talk about, like, stuff that they've done behind the scene. Awesome. And here I am... And here I am interviewing like my friends. That's bro. That's how it's having fun, you know. And mm-hmm. like that's bro. No, like it hasn't been done by you. Like that's what best exactly. advice is. Like everything's been done, but it hasn't been done by you. Um, and you're inspired by those people, and that's great that they do those podcasts. Literally, like podcasts is, I'm my opinion, next to movies is one of the best ways to get information because we're comfortable. You know, we're talking, you get to hear the stuff. You know, and it's easy <laughs> audio. <laughs> yeah. I mean, frankly, I don't know about your experience, but COVID has made it a lot easier. I used to have to do interviews like this where I would have to schedule you to come to my Uh house and I would have to clean up my house and get my studio all set up and have you come in. And now I can set up like multiple of these in one weekend, whereas usually I would just do one because it would just like take so much out of me. But when I mean, you started set stories way before COVID, right? Oh, yeah, we did. Actually, (laughs) the idea came about six years ago. Um, okay. when the shot, there was a shot, I, I got mistaken. I was working on a porno in the beginning of my, <laughs> my career. This is, this is what the set stories episode is about. It's really funny. It's yeah, <laughs> but no, no, no. I, I got, I, I accepted to do the job before I knew what was going on. Um, but anyways, long story short, I was frustrated the second day cause I quit the first day cause I'm like, I'm done. 
but I made him pay me more money, which was great. Um, if I come back and I was completely complain, I wasn't complaining, but I was kind of like, I did the work, but I had like a kind of attitude and they knew it. And they're like, we're sorry. Mm-hmm. Cause I, they're pretty much at my mercy. Cause I had the, the truck, I had the lighting truck and oh. I was like the lighting company. And like the company was like, you can leave if you want. And I was like, no, I'll stay with them. Cause they worked me 20 hours. And then, you know, and then, then we had an early oh. call. I'm like, they're not going to find a replacement quick enough to get this done. Um, and the second day wasn't bad, but it was just a lighting setup. That's what got me. And the the gaffer is a great gaffer. I'm still friends with him today. He was totally professional. Um, he's freaking amazing. He's he's like a union guy. He has his own thing. I still talk to him. He was 100% professional. And I'm like, bro, you are like too professional to be on this job. He's like, I'm just covering my friend. You know, he's like, he wanted me to cover for him. So I'm covering for him. And I was like, all right, cool. Um, but he's a gaffer that uses a lot of lights. I'm not hating on gaffers that use a lot of lights, but the image looked good. Anyways, I was fed up. And um, I was like, all right, I think I'm done. I'm, I'm done with these guys. And I was outside after seeing nakedness that I didn't want to see. And yes. um, I was so frustrated. And the AD comes out. He's like, hey, we need you to do one more thing. We're so sorry to ask. We're so sorry to ask. You know, we need to do one more thing. And I had to do a dimmer. I had to operate a dimmer that was next to a fire. Like the fire was oh. on my side because we ran out of extension cords. I'm like, I need like another three feet to be clear of this fire and I'll be good. But also, the girl was giving the guy a, a, a blowjob, and her mm-hmm. butt was right in my face. It was literally okay. like it was. I'm like, if she farts, I'm gonna definitely <laughs> feel the, the 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 air coming from her butthole to my face. And on the other side was a fire. Literally, like I kid you not. And I was just like, is this really why I moved out here to make movies to do this? To operate a dimmer in between some girl's butthole and a fire. I made it, Mom. I made it. But at that moment, I was doing it, and I'm so upset. And I'm like, you know what? If I was watching this on TV or something when I was really high, I would be laughing my ass off. I think this is the funniest thing ever, just like all the events that led up to this. Um, And so I was like, you know what? I think uh, set stories needs to happen. That's where the idea was, like, born. As a coping mechanism As a coping. for like this existential <laughs> crisis of oh my god, yes. I spent my life thinking that this was going to be something else, and here I am between a fart and a fire, between a fart and a fire. Damn it, we were, we need to rename that episode. <laughs> yeah, that's your book. That'll be your autobiography. <laughs> between a fart and a fire, the yeah, history got of- started started from the bottom. Now we're here. Oh. Uh. <laughs> that's awesome and now it's a podcast and now you got merch and mm-hmm. uh is is the plan to like grow it even more um the plan is to keep it as funny as possible and interesting and keep it going mm-hmm. um yes of course we'd like to p- people to listen to it we want to bring more people on we want to bring on celebrities honestly you know like hey you got yeah. something to share like come in here and be real you know we always every guest literally they always say thanks for having us on it felt really good you know um, it felt really good. You know, I mean, people, hey, when they start stuff, you know, it's usually, and this is like, I was never really in the creative boat because I'm a cinematographer. I love helping people create. And that's why I worked with directors that didn't know anything and dealt with them. But it's fun. <laughs> um, but they're always, see, I always ask them, like, what do you want to do with your film? You know, because I just shoot short films. Like, we don't do this. Submit it to festivals or blah, blah, blah. Most of it, when it's submitted to festivals, some people will want to use it to get money. I'm like, that's great. Mm-hmm. But of course, marketing and like just distribution is a whole nother, another thing. So with set stories, you know, it's like, well, it kind of distributes itself, but we'd have to market yeah. it so much if we want to actually, you know, get a profit from this. But like you said, there are so many people that have podcasts out there. It's like we have to what makes ours so profitable. 
you know, and what I learned when I was in uh, Arizona during film school, I worked for a small production company called Hot Seat Media, literally in the middle of the desert, Power and Pecos. I uh, learned how to edit for two years, shoot and edit there and while I went to college. Um, one thing I learned from that crazy producer, Chad Harris, um, I'd love to have him on. <laughs> But um, shout out. yeah, shout out. He, this guy's anyways. Um, there's people that you think like, oh, my God, they change through almost dying on an airplane, but they don't change. Anyways, uh, he's great. Uh, but he was always talking about views because we were working when like YouTube views and all that crap was all it was like 2009. So when all that stuff was like new, sort of. And he was like, we need more views. We produce so many shows. We did like a, a doctor show. Um, we did the Spartan race for two years. That was great. We got a lot of views. We traveled to a bunch of states and countries and all that. It was great. Um, but he was always talking about getting more views. Views equals money, pretty much where we we're at. Yeah. So it's was like, well, that kind of still hasn't changed. You know what I mean? Like all, with all these apps now, like likes, you know, equals people. People equals, you know, people are going to watch it or view it. They're going to, you know, how we're going to get out there to people to generate views. And eventually that somehow is money. So we're, yeah. I guess we're trying to make that connection, but I'm more concerned, especially since podcasts are so cheap and easy to do nowadays. It's like, yo, we should just, just keep it going, see where it goes. Um, you know, maybe if someone yeah. rips it off, like, uh, you know, <laughs> Tom Hanks has a show out called Movies, and it says, um, like, the stories behind the movies that we love or whatever. Um, okay. So I'm like, I didn't see it, but I'm like, okay, it sounds a lot like said stories. Um, so it's like... It, but But... But it's like what you're saying. It's like it, it hasn't been done by you, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I mean this as politely as possible. Like the idea of interviewing celebrities to see what it was like to be on set has been done, you know, since before inside the actor's studio. Mm-hmm. But what I love about yours is that it's about the people who no one, unfortunately, cares to hear about. <laughs> the credits. I want to, like, you know, the same people who want to hear what Daniel Day-Lewis's, like, acting experiences is like probably doesn't want to hear about some gaffer's story about how they dropped something one day <laughs> and everybody looked at them. Hey. And, like, but but that kind of stuff is really interesting. Yeah. And your podcast brings that out of people in this, like, really casual way where, you know, it's not like a press junket where everything I'm going to say is going to be, like, picked apart. <laughs> it's just... It's like you're just smoking and drinking with buddies. That's the, yeah, fun. that's the idea. That was the whole idea um, of the podcast, and it's to be relatable um, to people that are that work in the industry that aren't that don't work. It's like yo, know, everybody's dealt with problems at work. You know what I mean? Yeah. And oh yeah, Daniel Day Lewis's problems probably like oh no, um, <laughs> my makeup artist didn't show up this morning, so I had to call my backup makeup artist or. They didn't pay fifteen thousand dollar hotel. I got the ten thousand dollar night hotel. You know, and it's like, yeah. uh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because I brought up Daniel Day Lewis, and the only set stories I can think of are the ones about other crew members talking about this asshole e- on e- uh, my left foot who can walk, but is so method that I have to carry oh him around set to crafty God. and stuff. <laughs> I would want that job. So there are fun stories. I would just drop a bunch, <laughs> but it makes, drop a bunch of shit and be like, "You want me to carry you? Drop." I'm good. It makes me think about some of the set stories that would come out of the first Evil Dead because apparently that was just a nightmare set of a shoestring no, budget yeah. and friends helping out. It was awful. Thirty-five, uh, three hundred fifty thousand dollars. You looked uh, up. scrounged up from like his grandparents and friends and family right. kind of stuff. It was insane. Mm-hmm. But this movie, to to segue into uh, the movie we're talking about today, is the sequel to Evil Dead that came out in 1987, Evil Dead 2, with a much bigger budget, an actual crew, actual producers, <laughs> um, and lots more extra time and sets. Uh, so it's really funny. 
I remember this movie being pitched to me as like, oh, it's a remake of Evil Dead. But then when I watched it, that's oh, not really no. the case. <laughs> yeah, so when I was in college, I had this friend Mike who I wasn't really like super into horror movies. I watched a couple and stuff, and I was fascinated by uh, psychological thrillers like Silence of the Lambs. But in college, I met this guy Mike who introduced me to all of the like campy 80s horror movie stuff. And he would ask, uh, like we all lived on the same floor, and he would ask a group of us, hey, have you seen uh, Friday the 13th Part 2? We'd be like, oh, no. Man. Like, oh, great, we got to yeah, check it out. Yeah, you got to do all of them. <laughs> yeah, so he introduced us to all of those, and then I remember one night he said, oh, we got to watch Evil Dead and then Evil Dead 2 back-to-back. And so we were like, okay. And so we watched Evil Dead, and then <laughs> we watched Evil Dead 2. Totally different. And they're, s- <laughs> right? they're so freaking different, so man, different. and it's so hilarious that the entirety of Evil Dead 1 is in, like, the first five minutes of this movie. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, it's like, oh, they're going to cut it up. No, but we were, yeah. we were talking about that, too. Like, wow, they really got into it quick with the second one. But it was so great because yeah. they utilized literally from that point, they utilized every moment of like just being interesting or scary. Like with comedy, you know, you have to have a joke every five minutes. But like with the with these kind of movies, something has to happen. You know what I mean? And the something that happened was so great. And the subtleties, I, I mean, I could get go into detail like how they interested of how they did it, but the subtleties they put in there, um, you know, like with the movement of the camera and the sound, you know, like whenever I DP. I always like yeah. people like, you know, dialogue, dialogue. I'm like, do you ever like think of like music or sounds to put to certain to certain movements? Um, and they utilize, oh especially God. like the, you know what I mean? Like when they do the, the zoom, it's like a new, like a long piano. Or when the, the demon moves, it's Dude, like, you know, I am so glad you're on this show. You're a perfect fit. <laughs> Seriously, that's the kind of stuff I want to talk about. The dialogue's fine, but there were some shots. There were some specific shots that I want to ask you about to know if you have any insight. But yeah, today... Uh, welcome to the Gory Days. Kyle Leone here. I'm with Charles Cartwright, and we're talking about Evil Dead 2 from 1987. Ooh. Let's get into it. So in let's talk about how this movie got made. In May of 1984, Irvin Shapiro, the publicist for the original Evil Dead, pressured writer-director Sam Raimi into promoting a sequel in trade magazines. But it was shelved to make room for Raimi's next film, Crime Wave, with the Coen brothers. Ooh. I have not seen Crime Wave. Have you? No, I want to now. Neither have I, but it was a bomb. It bombed at the box office. And fearing another flop that would basically end their career, no, not many directors come back from two flops in a row. Sam Raimi and actor co-producer Bruce Campbell got to work developing Evil Dead 2, Mm -hmm. which I just think is so funny that Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell had this awesome movie, Evil Dead, and for like four years it was starting to build a cult following, and they still didn't want to do a sequel. They're like, no, we want to be original. Yeah, no, that's that's what's up. And that built up the anticipation. People probably wanted to see it more. Oh, I'm sure. But it's so funny to think that the original script that um, Sam Raimi and his friend uh, Scott Spiegel turned out was Army of Darkness. The plot to Army of Darkness. The original script was, oh, what if at the end of Evil Dead 1, Ash got transported to the medieval ages? And and Delorentis, uh, Dino Delorentis, the owner in production, the owner of uh, Delorentis Entertainment Group, DEG, told them, no, you need to make it more like the first one because that's what people like and what they'll come back for. Well, they got the best and of so, both. Yeah, exactly. So um, actually, they were having trouble uh, collecting funding. And I don't know if you know the story, but for the original, they were having trouble getting funding. And Stephen King saw Evil Dead at the Cannes Film Festival or, or not Cannes. What was it? 
I was something. He saw it at uh, maybe Sundance and wrote an article about it. And people thought they read, oh, Stephen oh, King loves this no indie movie. Way. We got to produce. We got to pick that up. Stephen King just need his approval. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so he did it again. Um, Evil Dead 2 was having trouble finding funding. Stephen King heard that and gave his friend Dino DeLaurentis, the owner of DEG, a call and said, you guys should meet with him and produce this movie. And so once again, Stephen King saved the Evil Dead franchise for the second time in a row. Wow. Uh, at the time, Sam Raimi was living in a house in L.A. with Joel Cohen and Ethan Cohen, the Cohen brothers, Holly Hunter, Francis McDormand, and Kathy Holy Bates. Holy shit. We're all living in a house together in Los Angeles. Kathy Bates? What? No wonder why she's Ka- all crazy over stories. She's like, all right, I'll take it back. <laughs> no, she's great. <laughs> yeah, Kathy Bates, the Cohen brothers, Holly Hunter, and Francis McDormand were all living that in a house funny. together doing auditions um, while Sam Raimi was writing his script there. That is, that's <laughs> like a, the opening of a funny joke. So, <laughs> so all these actors yeah. are in the same. So so three Academy Award, <laughs> three Academy Award nominated actors, and two Academy Award winning directors are in a house with Sam with Raimi. Sam Raimi, what's going to happen? Well, Sam Raimi's going to be writing by himself. That's so funny. It just occurred to me that everyone in that house has won or been nominated for an Academy Award except for Sam Poor Raimi. A. He was trying so hard. I can already see it. They're just in there enjoying their awards. He's just back there in the darkness, just trying to type with. I'm just kidding. I wonder if Holly Hunter or I wonder if uh, Kathy Bates ever calls him up and he goes, "Hey, get any awards yet? Get any awards yet?" They're all laughing. Ha ha. Yeah. Hey, shut up, guys. So- so it was filmed in and around um, Wadesboro, North Carolina, in a gym. So I first heard this on um, one of the Netflix things for Home Alone. <clears throat> the interior set for Home Alone was built inside a high school gymnasium. What? Did you know that? No. What? The interior set for the cabin here was also built inside a high school gym. Aha! Is that a common thing? Well, there's a lot of space. We were actually talking about that while watching it. We're like, is this a stage or outside? Because they get... Some shots that go from the from the house to the outside, and we're like, I don't know, but uh, yeah, it the, looks like a stage. We're like, it could be a stage, but they could be it's movie magic. Um, was yeah, it just a house that they that, like. Yeah, like, so the in so the interior of the house was a set in the gym. The exterior of the house was in the forest uh, near the gym. Okay, that makes with sense. like external lighting rigs and stuff. Okay, that's what we called too because we're like, all right, if they because they had to rig all the bro. I can't go the movie <laughs> whenever all that's the thing every light is, you see yeah everything is moving there's so many like i want to talk to that art team how did they get like all of those those inanimate objects to move so freely at the same like at the same time but random you know and it was such a psych- psychological thriller like that was super psychological i don't know if it was hallucinating or what but everything in the <laughs> in the freaking house was like moving and then they had shots of the girl uh her head I forget that. I'm about that. Yes. Name. Inside the vice, you know, and like, I love this is in horror movies. You don't really see this nowadays where in possess movies, like they go back and forth where you're about to kill them. It's like a gimmick. You're about to kill them because they're possessed, but then they go back to being normal form and crying and, you know, try to convince you, you know, try to fuck with you like that. But when her head was in yeah. the vice, it's like, yeah, you can tell like, okay, they built something underneath. They framed <laughs> it and her head sticking up and they just did incredible makeup and uh, special effects. Like, I know what you're talking about, that relationship between the lighting and the fog, which you can't control fog all that easily. So the fact that they're able to get these kinds of shots with uncontrollable elements like that is so cool. Mm-hmm. He takes his- so then finally, uh, in order to avoid an X rating, the DEG 
I found this really fascinating. So uh, Dino De Laurentiis had a production company and a positive relationship with the MPAA, but he didn't want this movie to get an X rating because that was a death sentence for films at the time. An X rating, people couldn't see them and didn't want to. So De Laurentiis, with all of his money, created a shell corporation and put his son-in-law in charge of this fake company called Rosebud Releasing Corporation, which you see at the beginning of the Rosebud coming out. Company doesn't exist. DeLaurentist invented the company so that it could release the film unrated without tarnishing his relationship with the MPAA. Wow. So it works. And the system works. It worked. <laughs> Because uh, Dino De Laurentiis had already, before the movie got raided and moved to Rosebud Releasing Corporation, had already paid to reserve uh, all of the cinemas and the ad campaign. Mm. So they just went forward with the reservations, even though this was not the agreement that they uh, initially started. Wow. (laughs) Sleazy, but worked with it. Mm -hmm. To get the movie? This is the only film from Rosebud Releasing Corporation, because it technically doesn't exist. (laughs) (laughs) So the movie came out in March of 1987, and uh, why don't we get into, I feel like if anyone hasn't seen the movie, (laughs) you're in trouble. Uh, Let me quickly go through my little synopsis. So, in Evil Dead 2, Ash Williams, played by Bruce Campbell, with his girlfriend Linda, played by Denise Bixler, are on a romantic getaway to an abandoned cabin that Ash found super romantic. Ash immediately plays a tape that recites words from the Necronomicon Ex Mortis, loosely translated to Book of the Dead, which unleashes demon monsters known as Deadites, who promptly kill and possess Linda. In gruesome yet slapstick Raimi style, Ash fights the Deadites, who force him to cut off his own hand when it gets possessed from a bite, and then it turns out the cabin belongs to an archaeologist named Raymond Noby and his daughter Annie, who's on her way to the cabin with her research partner Ed, with new pages of the Necronomicon. They meet locals Jake and Bobby Joe, who helped them get to the cabin because the bridge got torn apart. And when they arrive, they find Ash and throw him in the cellar, thinking he's a crazy serial killer or something. Can you blame them? Nope. But... But quickly they succumb to the Deadites as Ed is possessed pretty quickly, dismembered by Ash, and Bobby Joe is whisked away by tree demons. Oh yeah, she never came back. Nope, nope. In fact, there's some people who argue that maybe she didn't die. That there's like, you know, a future sequel or oh, something where Bobby Joe nerds. comes out of the forest. This time Remy got mad <laughs> emails. <laughs> right. So Ash becomes a deadite for a little bit. Crazy. Gets better. Annie becomes the protagonist for a little bit until uh, she stabs Jake on accident and drags him to the cellar where Henrietta... Played by... uh, Played by Ted (laughs) Raimi. (laughs) Eats him. Uh, Ash gets better magically, and Annie helps him suit up for the final battle by attaching a chainsaw to his limb and sawing off his shotgun. Groovy. Ash finally kills the noodle-headed monkey, Henrietta, and the trees start attacking the house. So Annie reads the pages she brought with her dying breath as she opens a portal that sucks Ash and his car away. Finally, they land in the year 1300 AD, what? Where a bunch of knights are being attacked by a deadite. Ash blows its brains out, and the knights hail him as a hero as he cries, No! No! The number of no's in that movie. (laughs) (laughs) No, you idiot! (laughs) You'll kill us all. (laughs) He even even shakes his head when her mother is underneath telling him. She turns around. I love that. He just doesn't even do it. He's like, you saw what just happened. He just shakes his head. (laughs) 
He's like, like, come on. Were you bored yesterday? Yeah. <laughs> this slept. So yeah, uh, when was, do you remember the first time you saw this movie? Oh my god. Uh, I, I have to go back to when I was like a little, a little uh, young sapping. Oh, you saw it young. I saw it young. I was so like you, uh, my friend whom I grew up with, uh, Colin Lyons. One, he, he's probably he's like the funniest, one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. Um, I grew up with him. Him and his brother are huge influences on why I'm the way I, why the comedy I'm into. <laughs> um, but no, he was. They were like, "Yo, fucking Evil Dead, man!" Because their dad like watched old kung fu movies and old movies, and they would like get into them. You know, we were in like second grade. He's like, "Yo, this movie's so scary. I had to close my eyes." It was the first one, <laughs> the, the first Evil Dead. He's like, "This movie was so scary," and I remember we had the big you know screen tv the big big one with the tube and i remember like we would sleep over <laughs> he slept over and i distinctly remember we're sleeping sleeping back she's like okay this is the part where we have to close our eyes otherwise we'll have nightmares and it, <laughs> it was the evil dead the first evil dead part i remember it was when the woman was possessed in first evil dead and she like gets raised up like she's floating and she's like moving her head and like milk like water or white milk looking shit uh -huh. comes out i remember that was one of the parts where he was like close your eyes because i had nightmares about this and I remember I was closing my eyes and like, I remember I slightly opened. I'm like, Oh God, he's right. <laughs> I'm like, that's scary, man. Uh, but the one, the recording in the first one scared me the most. Um, but yeah, when I was a kid, uh, we, we watched them, but he would kind of make fun of them. Like we would kind of like laugh, like, look at the way he kicked, you know, like look at the, you know, we'd make fun of movies. Like, Oh, it is pretty funny. But then again, it was kind of scary. And then the mm -hmm. second one, um, we were like, it was the same deal. Like, Oh yeah. You want to watch the second one? We were a little older. And I was like, the first one was kind of scary. He's like, yeah, but this one's a little bit better. And, you know, like I watched it and I was like, holy crap. You know, like I kind of like I remember pieces of it. But I'm like, Jesus, man, that movie was intense. Like from what I saw. Um, yeah. But I, I caught on the funny, you know, because we were like funny. You know, we, we were kids. We always made fun of movies. Uh -huh. But we thought Bruce Campbell was just like some of his expressions were so good. But he was just such a like in some moments. He would just look so funny, you know, like the big expression because he has such a like, he's had such like an Elvis kind of face, but he has like a kind of long face and big head. Um, it <laughs> is so hard to explain. I feel like it's so hard to to properly convey how impressive it is that the that both Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell are able to get so much comedy out of something that is still when you're done watching it like you said you go wow that was kind of intense it was hell intense and it's this it's this like weird beautiful mixture of genuine hilarity mm -hmm. and genuine gruesomeness yeah. and a lot of it a lot of it gets away with a, the fact that without even realizing it most of the gore is off screen and implied yes. even though you see tons of blood being sprayed onto people there's not as much as like you know the the pencil stab from the first one um or oh god uh, that's wrenching yeah or the eye gouge from the first one <laughs> this one most of the stuff is off screen and even when it's happening like i feel like the most gruesome parts are underscored by it being humorous i'm thinking of like <laughs> i'm thinking of like when the body of linda with the chainsaw stuck in her neck is just like wiggling <laughs> around and like bumping yeah. into him and stuff yeah. and it's like that's intense there's a chainsaw like if he doesn't move his hand the right way he could get his finger sliced off or whatever yeah. but it's also clearly just a puppet on a stick that someone's <laughs> just, just like wiggling around i felt like things on sticks was like the motif of that movie like the camera was literally probably on like a wooden stick you know or being i remember i worked with um oh my god i worked with the script supervisor from the first one 
she said that in order to get the shots of them going through the forest, those POV shots of the demon, they literally put the camera on a platform, like just a platform of wood, and they had two grips on each side just running. You know, like a yeah. lot of those practical effects literally are people, like stunt people, you know, just with like sticks or whenever the hand, remember when his when he, his hand killed him and his hand was crawling to the meat cleaver? By yes. the way, the POVs of the demon, they made, they made the, they gave the demon so much character um, by get, getting those POV shots, those little detail uh-huh. shots of like, okay, the demon, we don't, we don't, it's not, a, it's just a, a gas or a, something that ceased to exist, a state of entropy that we can't touch. But the camera movement and the sound and the way they executed it gave it a personality and a feeling. It was a, when there was like, and there was said people who like study demons, there's like different kind of demons. There's like bad, there's like mean ones, there's silly ones, you know, there's uh-huh. all kinds of shit. And like the demon possessed not only people, but like plants and shit. Like we say, yeah, oh, let's break that. Let's break that down. Like, you know, in, in horror movies, we have these icons like Freddy and Jason and Chucky and stuff. Uh, the Evil Dead operates in this kind of weird dead zone, <laughs> no pun intended, where there isn't like one villain. It isn't, you know, like the one bad guy versus Ash. It's the deadites, which are kind of like this smearing of they could be they're possessing you. They don't actually have a body of their own. They possess you mm. or your parents or something. And oh. I don't know how much of this movie. It, it's so cool to watch this movie and see how it influenced future horror mm-hmm. films and directors like Edgar Wright and things oh, like really? that. Oh, really? Those crash. Well, you know what I mean? Like when he's suiting up and those crash zooms I of those, those insert shots, yeah. all of those. Edgar Wright does those all I the love time, those you know? Quick ones, um, quick pans. And. Yeah. Yeah, and the tricks of like when the when Ash shoots the wall and the blood comes gushing Bro, out. How'd they do that? How how it, it uh, I read it. They uh, had it was actually horizontal. They were just opening. A I knew it. and dropping blood. Okay, on can him, see the gravity. And they had the set and everything turned, so it looked like he was standing straight. Mm-hmm. And in fact, that some of the frames are reversed in it, so it looks like it's happening a little bit longer than it actually is. Ah, and stuff like that. movie magic. Yeah, but uh, you mentioned the thing that's flying through the uh, woods. <laughs> so in the first movie, it is freaking scary, the the thing flying around in the woods. And every time, it's like almost going to get to them, and they close so, the door, and then it backs so off. So good. And in this one, we finally see it at the end, mm-hmm. right? Is that how you interpreted it? Because I interpreted that the face that bursts through like is the thing that's been wishing. That's, uh, are you talking about the, the holographic face? Oh no! I'm talking about the big, like, pink face that's got the two tree arms that's holding oh. him and is trying to eat Ash at the yeah. end. Yeah, and he like chainsaws its yeah. eye or whatever. Oh, that was crazy! It could. But I wanted to ask. Uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, I uh, rather than that, I wanted to ask the um. So, so the whooshing thing in this one is chasing Ash like through the house, like in between like individual Bro, doors, the- and then he manages to lose it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was so funny. Like, he just. And then he went underneath. He was underneath. <laughs> no, that execution was so great. Um, yeah. That, but how it smashes through the car window, too. Yeah, like, how did how they, they do, do that? that? It's a thing, like, it wasn't, so they might have, and you know, they might have just one shot, boom, and then they hand the camera off to someone on the, and then hand the camera off to someone else. And they, you know, and they could have, they shot, I noticed there was some, like, speedy frame rate. Like, they shot at, like, yeah. 14 frames or whatever, like they did in kung fu movies to make it seem faster. Um, uh-huh. So many camera tricks were used in that. That to, and and sound sound effects was like incredible um, to just help set the mood of that. And that shot you're talking uh-huh. about, that long shot from 
outside to inside chasing him. Man, when I first saw that shot, like after being, you know, you watch things after years, like after going to film school, you watch it, and you're like, bro, what the fuck? And like after trying to execute, yeah. that was just a guy fucking someone carrying the camera, just following him. And they just lit it and they just add the suspense with the acting and the music. And they even managed to go through these little tiny holes. They used the Ari uh, 35 uh, BL, which is not a small camera. And they also used like a Mitchell BNRC or something. Um, I'm camera person, <laughs> film cameras. No, I love it. I want to hear yeah, this. Um, so they actually use REBL 16 to shoot Evil Dead 1, which I own. So I own the camera that they shoot. They shot the first oh, Evil wow. Dead on. Back in the like, 70s. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's that, that camera in 1965, that camera was made. That movie was shot in 87. So that camera, I still have it now, 2021. Oh, almost 80, 80 years old and it's still kicking. Um, so yeah, anyway, get some great, it gets some great darks and lights, man. Bro, it's, like I was watching film stuff. I was watching it on, um, a couple different TVs. I have my like main nice TV, but then at one point I switched over to my phone and it was still just as crisp. Like I'm sure it's the remastered version mm-hmm. that's on the streaming services mm-hmm. now, but man, it pops, it looks great. especially with, especially with the like bright red bloods and the bloods on like Bruce's face and mm-hmm. stuff like that. The, yeah, the reds. I don't know. I don't know. I, um, kind of film stock to use, but yeah. Just film. Yeah. Old schoolness. So uh, I, I want to specifically highlight the fact that Bruce Campbell carries the entire goddamn movie. I mean, you can argue that there's four other people in the room, but <laughs> Bruce steals every scene <laughs> and they don't show up until like an hour in. So for the first hour, it's basically just Bruce. It's a silent movie. And he's doing... He's exactly. Mm. He's doing Buster Keaton kind of stuff, like <laughs> smashing the plate on his so head and making us believe that his hand is actually different. But at no point, and that's part of the the difficulty I have explaining is that at no point do I not believe what I'm seeing. Like so it's basically a Benny Hill Monty Python sketch, mm-hmm. but it, it still feels so authentic and so real that oh man, Ash is in trouble here. Like I'm laughing, but the mortal danger is still here. <laughs> it's a good, you know. It's a balance. It's like I like to, I like to tell movies. Like I love telling uh, stories where we pick on one person. Um, you know, it's like oh, I pick it on this person, and it's gonna happen to them. They're the they're the like the, the flexible person, the main character, you know, have shit happen yeah. to him. It's not, you know, like audience doesn't want to see the person achieve their goal. They don't care if Ash comes out dead or alive. They just want to see how he's going to get through this, you know, <laughs> and the that's next what, obstacle. That's what, that's what's so interesting. Um, the point where Ash becomes a deadite at one point, uh, Jake, uh, forces Annie and Ash out into the woods to look for Bobby Joe. Jake knocks Ash out, and then for some reason he wakes up as a deadite. And the perspective shifts to Annie. And I thought, I forgot that when I was watching this, and I was like, oh my god, that's so cool that for like a good maybe 15 minutes or something, we believe that our main character in like psycho, yeah, in psycho fashion Mm -hmm. is dead, and worse, is now the villain. Yeah. Yeah, which makes like when he when he finally like throws Annie against the wall. I thought for a minute I was like, "Oh shit, they lost." Mm-hmm. There's no more living people in the room. Mm-hmm. All the deadites won. What do they do when they won? But then quickly he picks up the locket and he remembers his humanity or whatever and comes to his senses. And then Annie's still trying yeah, to try swing to kill the axe. He's <laughs> like, "No, no, no, I'm alright." Ah! It gets thing because she just saw her mother. Such good writing. She saw her mother yes. trying to be nice, and you know that could have been the demon too. So she didn't know. Um, 
that's what I love about the Deadites is you were talking about um, like there are different kinds of demons like in a lot of possession movies the ones we see are based on the exorcist mm-hmm. where they are really scary and if there is humor it's really dark yeah. where they're saying like your mother sucks cock in hell yeah, or stuff like that that's like um, scary but the but I don't know if it's like a generational thing or if it's like, you know, I'm not religious. I certainly am, I'm not Catholic, but the thing that's way scarier to me is the deadite style demon that is like, what is it? Hysterical and like pranking you oh, and making fun of like you the, and cursing I hate, the whole I hate time. I to bring up the first one again, but like in the first one where his girlfriend's is sitting there laughing. Yes. That's, that and, was and creepy. Turn- <laughs> And keeps turning, like, the possession on and off just to fuck with Ash. Like, the way that her mom does it, starts mm-hmm. singing, like, um, Hush Little Baby or whatever. Oh, God, that's like, just that's scary. That's freaky. Mm-hmm. And it's in between shots of, like, the taxidermy deer laughing well, and stuff. It's crazy. That's, so that's another technique um, that I fucking love about this movie is that they go from scary, 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 uh, chaos, 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 you know, A story, chaos, chaos, and it'll just cut to something calming. Like the laughing, uh-huh. and then all of a sudden you hear something outside, and then it cuts to the moon, and then it shows them walking. You know, um, that or with the with the mom with the mother, they just got done fighting that demon uh, down there and rescuing Ash from underneath, and then um, you know all of a sudden she you know she sees a demon banging banging banging, and then it cuts to them, and then all of a sudden it's quiet, and it goes onto the shot like you say, the mother yeah. singing, and then it put, does like a subtle like the the transition and 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 shots yes it goes from handheld jarriness crazy blah 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 to just like a smooth like oh now we're we're smooth you know we're humble and we're we're nice now we're gonna do a slow push in a caring shot when the mother's singing to really fuck with the audience like that is the kind of filmmaking that's like that's good that's like okay have that transition happen and they're consistent with it you know I think one of my favorite examples of what you're talking about is when he's looking in the mirror when Ash is trying to say, like, it's fine, everything's fine. And then he reaches out and grabs his throat and he's like, not everything's fine. We just chopped up our girlfriend. And then it cuts again and zooms out and shows that it's his own arm. Like, that's so great because it's an Ash stand-in, but of course you believe that's the real it's him. A, it's so It's good. so psychological. I like to say it's a, like like you, you said, a psychological thriller. It wasn't just because like going into it, you'd probably be like, oh, this is not a slasher, zombie. It's like, yeah, it's more because some of the things were hallucinations like that. And as an audience, we yes. don't know. I love that shit. Like if the audience doesn't uh-huh. know and the actors don't know, it could work. They use a dramatic irony, oh. give the, you know, give the audience information or the characters information. But it's like, no, just fucking put them in this world, like create the world with your one location. Yes. But that's the most impressive part to me is that, uh, they're able to truly make me, the viewer trust everything that I've seen so far. And I have absolutely no idea what's about to happen from like scene to scene, hell from even like shot to shot. I'm at the absolute mercy of the director. And there are some, I, I feel like on paper that would make you go what so it's just crazy exactly all the if time. you read this like, on I don't want read this as a script from beginning like oh he goes there he gets possessed by demons and then he gets sent back in time like what are you talking about yeah but I, I I'm fast I've always wanted to see like the script for this I haven't looked it up but I'm so curious to like how did they get the humor across on the page because mm-hmm. it just seems like it would be so have to get silly and it'd be details. like I don't get it but I think yeah. a lot of, like, for example, um, I think a lot of that might have just happened on set. Because that you could tell movies that were they, they were just on it. You know, like when comedians are mm-hmm. on a roll. 
you know, you can tell and having fun. Yeah, they're having fun. You can tell movies like the art department, everybody's on the same page. Like, you know what? Yeah, like for example, when he gets the, when he finds out the chainsaw is missing, yeah, <laughs> that little detail of the outline, the yes. outline of the, of the chainsaw where it's supposed to be, and then you're like, like a cartoon. Yeah, it's like, wait, was this a murder scene? For the chainsaw, like dotted line, please, please. and then it's like it's supposed to be here, and then you turn around and some headless <laughs> demon just has it. It's like, oh. or the farewell to arms book he puts that, on top of the, the hand. Movie. Yeah, or that's the book. I'm gonna get that book now. Farewell to I, like that's the stuff that would come across on the pages. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, I get it. Like heavy handed. Yeah, it's like okay. Like, oh man, I almost forgot to mention the stop motion in it. Um, there's some awesome stop motion bits at the beginning with the book, like writing itself. Yeah. And that it was stuff. all trippy and, and all like, you know, jumpy. yeah. Uh, and also uh, Annie's like body dancing outside with the that. head on it. I love that shit. It's so creepy. Uh-huh. I liked how they went stop animation for that. And I like how it didn't look smooth. Like some people would argue, yeah. Like mm-hmm. I, I know one person, she's like, I hate stop animation. It just like creeps me out. And I was like, what's wrong with that? I can tell it could be creep you out, especially if it's done slow like that. Like, when I saw Michael Jackson, uh, Moonwalker, uh, just uh, real quick, this is when I first saw like stop animation like that, and it did scare me. But there was a music video where he's dancing with an alien, and it was like kind of like stop, just like the the woman dancing. And I'm like, that's kind of creepy, guys. <laughs> but in Sam Raimi, he used it. It's a scary movie. He used it because it's a scary movie. You know, do that stop animation. You know, and although she <laughs> flies off, she's like, ah. and like the puppeteering too, the trees the tree scene that you're talking about i'm so glad that he removed the uh rape in this oh yeah that was kind of that was very uncomfortable much yeah yeah and a little misogynistic so you know it was nice that that got removed but still it still has that fear like the way it's spreading her and stuff you feel like it could happen there's still a sexual like hint to it but the puppeteering and stuff like it's obvious to me, a seasoned moviegoer, that it's just some stagehands pushing some branches into the frame. And but it still looks, it looks really cool. creepy. Camera angles, like just, and then did it uh, 18 frames per second or whatever to make it look, and then sound, man, come on. Sound yes. is so like, all the like, so uh, good. Like, it's so funny. It's like a, it's a sound that you and I know, like, oh, it's the sound of trees magically growing, right? Yeah. <laughs> that sound, that doesn't exist in real no, life. They, so, like, you know. They create it. Fully people having to create that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, how do you tell, yeah, fully people, like, okay, we need to create a sound of, like, these branches, like, tying up a woman. Like, you know, like, the sound of leather just, I, that's a very distinctive sound. When I hear leather, for some reason, like, when people sit on leather or they have a leather jacket, that sound is one of the most cringing sounds to me because of freaking Samuel L. Jackson and and, and heartache. Yeah. <laughs> but no, like, that's just like, yeah, because, like, that's easy. Like, okay, Leather Jacket, but it's like, yo, like, to invent sounds like that that's never happened in, in a meta world is insane. That's where Fully's great. Fully's fun. I've, mm-hmm. I've done it only. For- and sound designers. Yeah, yeah. like, kudos to like, those guys, literally. Like the, and then sometimes it's, uh, it doesn't quite work. Like the, um, when Henrietta stretches her neck at the end and it is very clearly a monkey screaming and it doesn't really make sense and it kind of rips me out of it. I didn't know. <laughs> well, the TIE Fighters was just, Oh, sorry. TIE Fighters and Star Wars, that's an elephant. Um, really? Yeah, so animals apparently make good Foley artists. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Chewbacca, I think, is a combination of several animals. Oh, so, really? Yeah. To make that one? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, uh, another thing that I love is that, um, it is so easy to go back to Evil Dead 1 and f- 
confuse the events of this movie with that one. I did Evil Dead 1 on my podcast a few months ago, and I was certain that there was going to be a laughing deer. And I was watching the movie, and I was like, oh, man, I can't wait for that laughing deer scene. It's going to be so great. (laughs) And then it never came. There's so many things that happen Uh, in this one that you would be, uh, I feel like, permitted to forget because they're so similar. Did you know that... The reason they do the like breakneck recap with only one other character, Linda, instead of the three, is because they had they did not have the rights to the original film. The what? The breakneck. Yeah, so at the beginning of the movie, the entirety of Evil Dead One is summed up in five minutes, right? And it's only Linda instead of the three friends, Scotty and whatever. Mm-hmm. They originally wanted to use footage from the from Evil Dead One just to like quickly summarize the events. Oh, okay. But they didn't have the rights to their own movie, so they had to like redo it themselves. Mm. So they didn't. Oh, they didn't have the rights to their own movie to use their own footage in their own movie. Yeah, so they had to recreate it from scratch. That's why the beginning looks similar, but not quite when he's like when the thing catches him and then whisks him off through the forest because that's supposed to be the final shot of Evil Dead One. We're picking oh, yeah. up here on Evil yeah, Dead Two. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, but it's so funny because I have in my mind this ideal when I was a kid, even without seeing any of the Evil Dead movies, I knew who Ash was and I recognized Ash and I recognized when other like cartoons and movies and stuff were like trying to do homage to Evil Dead. Um, like the, the one that comes to my like head. Grim, uh, Billy and Mandy. <laughs> I was going to say Haas Delgado from Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. He had the chainsaw hair. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Haas Delgado is a combo of Ash and the, the uh, Kurt Russell's character from Escape, Escape from, from New York. Yeah. Just kind of like smashed Yeah, together. it was. Yeah, because yeah, I'm like, where did you get the patch from? Oh, yeah, that is correct. Yeah. Such a match. But I didn't like, I had no idea who this was. I just knew that, oh, the idea of someone having a chainsaw for a hand mm. and a shotgun in the other was freaking badass. <laughs> I forgot Billy and Mandy did that. I was like, what the fuck is this? And then, and then it's like, Within, I, I would have assumed that, like Jason, his look was kind of an incremental thing of like, oh, okay, in one movie he gets the chainsaw, in another he gets the hair streak, in another he gets the boomstick, and mm-hmm. like then with all of those, it's literally like in the last five minutes he becomes the Ash the that we Ash. all know and love, complete with like the ripped yeah. shirt and the straps and everything. <laughs> he looks like a, a like action hero he at does. the end there. Oh man, and then they. Damn it. I, uh, it's one of those movies where it's like, I wish they redid it, and then they re- did redo it, and then they did uh, the Ash vs. Evil um, one. Oh, yeah. I watched the first two episodes of that. I didn't really get into yeah. it. I read the synopsis. It Apparently, in the third season, like toward the series finale, they wrap up and go back to like all the other movies and retcon this one because... In Ash versus the Evil Dead, the FX show that ran from 2015 to 2018, they reference events and characters that were in Evil Dead One, mm-hmm. but were not in Evil Dead Two's beginning. So, oh, it's so they confusing. fucked up. They didn't do their. Yeah. They fucked up. <laughs> yeah, they they're saying like, like Evil guys, Dead Two was a dream or yeah, something. It's like, I don't where know. did that come from? Come on now. And then, have you seen Army of Darkness? I have. Yeah, it's been yes. It's not. It's not my favorite. Uh, it, it was just trying. It was just like slapstick funny. One hundred. It was I. Yeah. Um, I, and all the scenes of like Deadite uh, Ash just having full on conversations with other Deadites were were a little boring. It's like, wait a minute, they're people now. They've evolved. Even yeah. now they're back in time. We're gonna actually gonna rewatch exactly. that one tonight just because. Uh, but no, <laughs> um, the second like honestly, now that I go back on it, I 
think kind of the second one was probably the best. I think uh, so. Yeah. <laughs> if if you're gonna watch any Evil Dead, yeah. watch Evil Dead Two because it's the one that captures like the most soul of yeah. the project. Like what is yeah. um, that's that movie? Like I've never seen a movie like that to be honest. Um, even as of today, that can mix up yeah, horror seen and comedy s- like that. Like Freddy Krueger kind of exactly. was. But it was only comedy coming from him, like, and it was kind of like that mm-hmm. dark comedy, like, "Oh, don't kill me, I'm your mother." Welcome to prime time, bitch. <laughs> oh yeah, he did say bitch a lot. <laughs> he did. Bitch. That was his thing. <laughs> Welcome to prime time. Shuts the door, opens it, bitch. <laughs> um, so now this brings us to our final segment of the podcast, where we rate the movie on a scale of one to five thumbs, one being the worst and five being the best. Hey Charles, what do you think of Evil Dead Two? Uh, I gave it four thumbs. Nice. Yeah, I, I only because I I watched it. I literally watched it like in October, as far as like horror movies and like in general. Hmm. Um, I watched it in October and I was like, oh fuck, like it still holds up. And then I watched it literally before we came on. And it's like it still is pretty. Like it's great to watch movies and still be like amazed. You know, um, usually it takes like a year, and I'm like, oh shit, like I didn't notice that to watch some I've seen a million times. Um, but for this one, it's like I saw it a few months ago and like. You know, I'd watch it again, um, you know, a little bit later, <laughs> you know, a few months, just, if, if, you know, if like background noise or something like I wouldn't be like, oh, OK, turn it on in the background or something. Yeah, it's fun. It's spooky. It still holds up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so traditionally, we award our thumbs to either characters or actors or even crew members from the movie. Who are you giving your four thumbs to? Um, God damn. Honestly, whoever. I mean, Bruce. I mean, besides Bruce Campbell, of course, Bruce. besides him. um, Whoever did the art, art department, production designer. Um, oh, that was Mark Showstrom, Greg Nicotero, and Tom I, Sullivan. I would really love to, I would have, like, loved to work with them on that, to be honest, because I think that really did, like, hold it together. Um, those practical effects were just insane. Um, yeah, how yeah. about that one shot? I was, um, I was just proud of that. Like, that, that's what really stood out the most me yeah how about that one shot where they uh ash wakes up in a puddle and they like spin around and pull all the way up i thought that was one of the coolest oh, shots yeah, too. The <coughs> insane crane shots oh uh, yeah the the shooting of it was great i mean you know like i could talk all, i could do a whole nother episode on like the cinematography of the whole oh, yeah shout out to cinematographer peter deming peter deming he's a good one i follow him um oh that's cool that, yeah he's he's a good one um but yeah, uh, I could talk like all day on the cinematography on that, but the lighting was like, uh, I just want to touch a little bit on that, if that's right. But it was so theatrical with like colors and it was like unnatural, but it was fine. Like some people like nowadays movies, you don't really see on everything's like natural, dark, whatever. It's fine. But like they had like red lights, you know, they had ghoul lighting, Spotlights. Like, they played with like. I love that shit, man. Like play with play with the direction of light. It's like go one hundred percent for the field. Like it's it's unnatural. Yes. This is an unnatural world, you know. But like the the lens choices, like the wide angle lenses on the close ups to make the make it very skewed. The the Dutch angles, you know, like they broke so many rules. There's there's times where the camera's like so handheld, it doesn't even you know. And like I like I I try to when I shoot things, I try to sell that effect, you know, like hey, add energy. This is kind of a chaotic thing. It's just trippy. And then some people like they're like, oh, I want this to be kind of smooth and like static. It's like, bro, like give it some energy. But um, like the energy of the the shooting style was so controlled. Like it got you, and it was so calmly controlled. Like they'll go to chaos and they'll show an incredibly beautiful shot of the moon. Like the shots of the sunset. Oh my god, those were gorgeous. 
um, you know, the moon was incredible. I'd love to, I mean, I, yeah, you see that all the time. But you're referring, you're referring to stuff in like uh, older movies, like from the 40s and 50s, yeah. where like, you know, they would look, it would be dark. They would look up, and there would be a band of light yeah. that just like kind light, of stretched very, across their eyes, and that's super very, unnatural. Yeah, very noir, um, like literally, yeah. like cutting light, like, and they, like that. That is an old school. I watch a lot of like Twilight Zone stuff simply because they they do uh-huh. black and white, and in cinematography, in my opinion, learn how to light black and white, and then go to color. In my opinion, um, or just light some black and white, very noiry, you know, and carry that over into colors, you know, whenever you shoot color, it's really cool. Yeah. Like when um, the hand is uh, hitting Ash with the plates and then notices the cleaver, Mm -hmm. there's a spotlight like right on the cleaver and it feels kind of weird, but we need that in that moment. We need to see like like, in as few, you know, shots as possible that here's the thing the hand's got to get to. It's very Tom and Jerry in that way. Zencaster. Uh, I'm sorry, you're cutting out a little bit. Oh, no worries. It's very Tom and Jerry in that way. So uh, I agree with you, man. I gotta, I gotta uh, say that I'm also going to give this movie four thumbs because it totally holds up in my opinion. But I am going to give all of them to Bruce Campbell because I don't know, I don't know what he was on <laughs> when he was doing that kitchen thing. But I read that the entire kitchen sequence was improvised uh, by Bruce Campbell Whoa. on his first take, and they kept it in. Egad, that was great. He's breaking. It's so good. This destroying himself, man. That's good <laughs> acting, man. You're right. That's Buster Keaton. Seriously, yeah. So I got to give them all to him because, unfortunately, I want to give them to uh, like Annie, but they just frankly don't have that much to do in this movie. E- so the act. So that's uh, Evil Dead Two. Um, Charles, it was so great having you on the podcast, and I can't wait until uh, season three of Set Stories podcast comes the out. Beginning of Feb. February, brewery, February. Oh, awesome. Yeah. That's coming up soon. When that happens, I like I said, I'll be giving you the gory days bump. Thank you. And we're going to have a little uh, treat. We we do, if you're a guest on the podcast, we give you a shirt. So you're going to oh. get a shirt. I'm probably going to. Oh, shoot. Eat. I have to make shirts Man. so I can give you one. Yeah. Uh, no, I got to give him a shirt. No, it's just for our merch. That's it. You know, it's like we want to, we do want to get listeners, but we want people to come on more, you know, like people to share so if someone wears a shirt like i gave my i wore a shirt to get an mri and my doctor was like what's that you know and i gave him a card <laughs> i know right like i'm an mri doctor so but we want to get listeners like hey what is that yeah come on and share what you got to hear you know we want to educate people and tell people like when like when i moved out before i moved out of here i lived i grew up in the desert in arizona you know and i was like okay what's you know movies we the only thing we have for the film industry to reference what it's like is what we see on tv and we all know that's bullshit so I was like, all right, well, uh, let's just start something to really tell people how it is. Um, hopefully people in Bulgaria or Argentina or Colombia or wherever the hell they are in the world, they can listen to this and be like, okay, well, I've always thought about working in the film industry. What is it really like? Set Stories mm-hmm. Podcast. And I love, I love that it's evergreen, man. You can listen to Set Stories Podcast like five years from now and still get as much out of it as a recording that you did yesterday because this stuff is this stuff never changes unfortunately it doesn't and the internet um is going to be around for how long probably forever so (laughs) long after us hopefully long after us so it's going to be up there forever Yeah. Well, thank you once again, listeners, to another episode of The Gory Days. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at The Gory Days, or you can shoot me an email at... uh, You forgot your email. Podcast (laughs) at (laughs) gmail.com. I'll edit out that pause. (laughs) That pause. Um, But until next time, 
stay scary out there. Corey days. Corey days.